From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, Dr. Sophia Thomas, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and to our patients. Today's guest needs no introduction, but we're going to give her one anyway. Dr. Bernadette Melnick is the nation's first chief wellness officer at a university, specifically Ohio State University, a member of the United States Preventive Services Task Force editor-in-chief of the journal Worldviews on Evidence-Based Nursing and a Media Fixture. You may have seen her recently featured on an episode of PBS NewsHour concerning nursing and burnout. And in this episode, she's going to expand on this topic and inspire us to bring back joy to our job. I am beyond pleased to welcome Byrne to the podcast. I am delighted to join you today. Before we begin talking about burnout in general, because this is a very important topic, I'd like our audience to hear a little bit more about you personally. In one of your presentations, you describe your story of success as beginning in a small coal mining town and reaching Buckeye Nation as the chief wellness officer. Would you share your story with us and what you've accomplished and experienced as the first chief wellness officer at a U.S. university? Sure. I grew up in this small little coal mining town an hour south of Pittsburgh, right on the West Virginia border. My dad was a coal miner. We lived in a tiny little half of the company house. We struggled financially, but I was born with rose-colored glasses on, and I still can make lemonade out of lemons any day. But my whole world shattered when I was 15, home alone with my mom when she sneezed, stroked out, and died right in front of me. Oh, my goodness. You can imagine how traumatic that was for a teenager. I suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and anxiety. And after five months of not functioning, I was taken to my provider. And that provider did what so many still do today, first line. Give me Valium. Say, take one of these every night. You'll sleep and be just fine. I took a Valium that night, woke up groggy the next day, said, I never want to take these again. Mm -hmm. But what happens to us that's often very difficult really creates a passion in us to go on in our careers and do impactful things. So I developed a passion for nursing, became a pediatric nurse practitioner, a psychiatric mental health MP, and then I went on to get my PhD so I could develop evidence-based 
my co-program that's really being brought in all 50 states. Nurse practitioners are delivering it, getting reimbursed for it to reduce depression and anxiety in children, teens, and young adults. My mom, what got me into wellness, Sophia, is my mom had a history of headaches for over a year. And my dad kept saying, go to the doctor, figure out what's wrong. She was diagnosed with high blood pressure, given a prescription for an antihypertensive that my dad found in her purse after she died. She never took it. And what we miss the boat on in this country, we are so sick care, crisis care focused. We need to shift this paradigm to one more of wellness and prevention. So my dream was to be the first chief wellness officer at a university in the country. And when Ohio State was recruiting me to be their nursing dean, I pitched my dream. I might talk to you if you are willing to combine the dean's job with the university-wide leadership role as the first chief wellness officer in the country. I was fortunate that our president at the time saw that dream. I convinced him how I could add value to what Ohio State was already doing. And bam, here I am, still vice president for health promotion and chief wellness officer for the university 12 years later. Wow. And what's been the impact of your role there just first at the university? I'm fascinated by this. Yes. I spearhead population health and being at Ohio State. And we are big. We have 40,000 faculty and staff, 66,000 students, and seven hospitals. Wow. Now, our topic today is burnout, specifically for nursing and nurse practitioners and others in healthcare. Tell us about your experience with burnout and how you've worked to overcome burnout in your life. For one, burnout results from chronic stress or overload at work. So it manifests itself in three particular areas. One, it has sustained feelings of exhaustion, physical, mental, emotional. It has professional inefficiency. You start to feel not so productive or competent. And lastly, there is detachment from your work mentally. And maybe you start to get cynical or negative about your work. 
burnout right now in nursing, and I do a lot of national studies on this topic, not just in nursing, but in pharmacists, infection prevention specialists, and so on. We're still seeing burnout rates of 50 to 70 percent. Now, I have a little story. So when COVID hit in March of 2020, I said to my university-wide wellness team, we got to convert all our evidence-based programs to virtual now. We got to ramp up, especially our mental health interventions, because our people are going to be really stressed, anxious, and depressed. You had a lot of forethought back in March of 2020 to be thinking that far ahead to be able to predict that. You're like a guru. Oh, no, but I anticipated the soaring rates of all these mental health issues. But here's the character builder. I was working about 80 hours a week, easy. So after a year, I was burning out personally. And I came home one day, I'm a really easygoing, fun person, but I was getting cranky. And my husband asked me a question and I nearly bit his head off. And John said to me, burn, face your true story. You are burning out. What are you gonna do about it? Bam, my face. I thought for a couple of minutes and I said to him, I want to take a bucket list trip, 10 days, no computer, no emails. I need a mental health break. He said, which of our bucket list trips do you want to do? I said, I want to go to Tanzania and watch the wildebeest migration. He said, during the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic, I said, a lot of the safaris outdoors, we're going to be fine. So we actually did that. So I got away for that solid block of time. And I told my leadership team, you can handle anything that comes up. I'm not going to be accessible. And honestly, that was the best thing I could have ever done to do something that was meaningful, that brought me joy and to get away solely for 10 days. That's amazing. Unplugging is, it's hard to do, but once you do it and you have that acceptance that you've unplugged and you just have to enjoy nature or whatever is there. It, it, it's amazing. We saw burnout really ramp up during the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously with you, with many of us. Our lives changed, our lives shifted. The nursing and healthcare professionals were being asked to do a lot more with a lot less. What are some other things that you feel contribute to burnout? I know you were recently featured in PBS NewsHour in a special entitled, What Makes Nurses Vulnerable to Burnout? And in the piece, you mentioned that companies that support nurses and create a culture of support 
make a big difference in helping their employees avoid burnout. But what do, what first do you think is contributing to the burnout other than the excessive hours and being asked to do a lot more with a lot little and staffing issues and things like that? Or is that it? No, there are several causes. The biggest one, system issues that need fixed. Bottom line, that people are understaffed, overworked. If there's cumbersome burden with the electronic health record, there's a problem when it takes nurse practitioners 12 clicks to do a flu shot. But other causes are lack of control, lack of appreciation, and reward relationships, lack of connection at work, values. If our values are not aligned with the organization that we're working for, or if what we're doing is not aligned with our dreams and purpose and passion, you get burnt out much quicker. So it's multifactorial. Yeah, and I think uh, I speak to so many of my colleagues around the country, and you're right about the EMR. It When it takes us a lot longer to do the charting for the patient than it does to actually see the patient, people are spending their nights, their weekends charting when they should be able to get these tasks accomplished at the office during office time. It's a challenge. So that breaks into their own self-care time as well. What do you think some um, companies are doing to help combat this burnout now? They recognize, on, in many cases, organizations are recognizing that the healthcare field is burned out, nursing, nurse practitioners are, are burned out. What are some things that are being done now to help address this? And is it effective? Because I've heard of Lots of ideas. People come up with this, call this number and you can get someone to talk to. But how effective are some of these things? Yeah, I can't emphasize enough. You first got to fix the system issues that cause burnout. You can have the best evidence-based programming like we do at Ohio State. We have so many fabulous evidence-based programs that we bring to our Buckeyes. But if there are system issues, you gotta fix those first. You've gotta have a vision and mission. You've gotta have a strategic plan. You gotta appoint a chief wellness officer and give them a seat at the highest level of the organization, along with the team. A lot of CWOs are being appointed right now with no resources. So it's like organizations are checking off the box. Yep, we got a CWO, but if you don't give those people resources, a team, you're not going to move the needle all that much. But on an individual level, I just want to tell everybody, please self-reflect right now. Using your own definition of burnout, how burnt out are you? 
And if your burnout is starting to interfere with your judgment, your productivity, your functioning, it's time to get help. It's not a weakness when we need to get help. It's a strength. But NPs and nurses, seriously, they do a great job caring for everybody else, but they... But themselves, yep. Exactly. <laughs> and we've got to change that. It's not selfish to partial out times during our week to still engage in things that bring us joy, to do healthy lifestyle behaviors. It's a necessity, not a nicety. And that's true. And can you elaborate more how you believe we've decided self-care is more of a nicety than a necessity? I'll tell you this. My kids have told me for years now, Mom, you work too much, slow down, take time for yourself. They give me gift cards for days at the spa and all these things. And I cash the gift cards in for products or I use it to get my hair cut because I'm, I don't make the time for myself to take that day at the spa that they have purchased for me. And I'm going to get another one for Christmas this year. And, and I don't, I'm guilty of not doing my own self-care. I'm sure you've heard that a lot from other providers. Yeah. You know what, Sophia, it's nurse practitioner, you and I, we've got to realize most people don't change behavior simply because we give them evidence. We educate them. I'm not saying we should stop educating people, right? But we've got to remember most people don't change unless crisis happens or their emotions get raised. And so my formula for behavior change is evidence plus emotion gets people to change. Because look at the state of chronic disease in this country. 60% of Americans have chronic disease, yet 80% of chronic disease is totally preventable with just a few healthy lifestyle behaviors. But behavior change is tough even for ourselves. I didn't have a mother to see me graduate from high school, college, go on to have my three beautiful daughters. If we don't take better self-care now for ourselves, do it for the people who love you, who want you to be around for a very long time. That's well said. And so when we talk about burnout, we often figure the busy professional who's become burdened and overwhelmed in their career, but you're also an expert in adolescent health. Can you tell us how burnout might affect the adolescents and children in our lives and some of the causes of these stressful situations and burnout in the children? And what can we do to help children and adolescents? Yeah, I think the pandemic, we have to realize, was very traumatizing, not only for adults and parents, but also for our children and our teens. 
And if parents are burnt out, because I just developed with my colleague, Kate Golick, a new working parent burnout scale. And we did a study, two thirds of the parents we surveyed were burnt out totally. And we saw in our work, their level of burnout was directly, strongly related to emotional and behavioral problems in their children. Emotions are contagious. And the best thing that a parent can do is take time for self-care, role model it, teach your kids about taking and giving a dose of vitamin G for gratitude every day. Gratitude is one of the simplest evidence-based practices. If we put it into action every day, the outcome, stress will decline, mood will improve. I could talk for an hour about what more we could do for our kids and our teens, but you got to recognize it. You can't deny it. Becoming aware of burnout for yourself and in your children and teens is the first step to taking action to do something about it. Yeah, and I've always heard the saying, children learn what they live, and then that becomes very self-perpetuating. So we definitely have to break the cycle. We've all experienced stress and burnout from the pandemic and all the changes, and the kids went through a lot as well. I'm sure many of them enjoyed not having to go to school, but not all. Um, And there were a lot of challenges. And so we're coming out of this thing. And it's important to recognize that everybody needs a little bit of evidence-based mindfulness and self-care. And cognitive behavior skills building, like I teach in my program. Because evidence-based CBT skills building should be the first line evidence-based treatment for depression, anxiety, burnout. But it's not. We give a ton of SSRIs. We give a ton. And only they work in 40% of adolescents, young adults. The major reason, the major cause of depression, anxiety, negative patterns of thinking that you don't even know you have anymore. So, We've got to build mental resiliency along with fixing system issues, along with building cultures of well-being where people feel cared about, appreciated, and feel they matter to their organization. Exactly. And just one more last question for you, because I'd like to ask you about the partnership you created by the Ohio State University College of Nursing and Trusted Health to provide resources for nurses on the front line during the pandemic. What did you uh, learn from that experience? It was fabulous. People on the front lines really benefited from having a nursing, one of our nurse practitioner students that was their wellness support partner, their coach. And we got beautiful outcomes and we're still continuing this program 
at Ohio State. I don't think colleges of nursing on the whole leverage their NP and nursing students enough to improve population health and being. It's cost effective, it's a great learning experience for the students, and it improves the health and well-being of our nurse practitioners and nurses. Very well said. Byrne, thank you so much for joining us today on NP Pulse. I've learned so much, and it's been a great, very inspiring, definitely glass-half-full conversation. You've left me with feelings of positivity and hope for anticipation that the future is going to be brighter for everybody involved. So thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Keep dreaming, discovering, and persisting through the character builders until your dreams come to fruition. Thank you. Byrne, we really appreciate you joining us today on NP Pulse. If you'd like to learn even more and become more involved with AANP, and in particular with expanding your knowledge of health policy while networking with peers from all across the United States, register now for the 2024 AANP Health Policy Conference, taking place January 28th through the 30th in Washington, D.C. Attendees will hear from speakers, receive updates on government affairs, and on the final day, have the opportunity to meet with congressional representatives. It's so much fun, and I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.